0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York.
1: It's a great pleasure for me to introduce to you another guest speaker this morning. Um, I feel like you're being spoiled by this, and then I'm going to have to come back next week, and everybody's going to be sad that there's not another one because it's been so fun. We had our friend Don here last week, and uh, I want to invite Garth McGrath to come forward now. Garth is the superintendent of our particular conference, called the Great Lakes Conference of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, Garth has been um, a, a pastor to me, um, which is a role that I very much need in my life. And uh, so I'm very grateful to you. Getting choked up now. Uh, In our particular church structure, the person a pastor calls when a pastor doesn't know what to do is the superintendent, <laughs> and uh, I'm happy to say that I have, not happy to say that I've had to do that, but, but that when I have had to do that, Garth has been uh, a wonderful support to me and been everything that, that I could have hoped in those moments, and I really didn't intend to, to be very emotional in this time, so I'm sorry to, to, uh, to set this up this way, uh, but I'm thankful for you, Garth. Thank you for being here. Garth came all the way from uh, Detroit, which is his home base and home uh, city, and uh, where he does his ministry, to share with us this morning. And I know he's excited to, uh, to be here with us. I think this is the first time you've, you've been able to be here and preach to us and so share with us. Yeah. So yeah. thank you so much for being here. Would you join me in welcoming Garth to our congregation? To stay here.
0: Thank you. And, uh, Scott, thank you. I want you to know... Uh, (laughs) that I consider it a privilege to serve as Scott's pastor and the pastor of other uh, covenant pastors around uh, uh, the covenant, and especially in the Great Lakes Conference. We know uh, Scott to be a thoughtful and reflective and articulate, uh, passionate lover of God and lover of people. That's his reputation among us. I've never heard him preach, so I don't know what he's talking about that even spoiled. spoil getting spoiled here because you know we we have them on a pedestal because of the the vibrancy uh, of this church the words that we continue to hear about the impact that your congregation is making uh here uh in the community of rochester and so i'm thankful for you we are all thankful for your church but we're also especially uh, thankful for your pastor scott so scott thanks for your faithfulness and, uh, and bless you.
1: Take all the time
0: you need okay we 'll do that uh, one o 'clock okay, if we finish up so uh, good morning church it is uh, It is really a privilege to be here this morning and i I want to bring greetings to you from Gary Walter, who is the the president of this movement that we know as the Evangelical Covenant Church. Uh, he uh, works out of an office in Chicago and uh, represents the eight hundred and fifty or so Covenant Churches across the United States and Canada, and I'd like to bring you greetings from all of them uh, as we partner together uh, to to declare the gospel and to share the good news of Jesus, uh, both in word and in deed, uh, across uh, the nations that we, that we serve. And I also want to bring you greetings from the other 80 churches in the Great Lakes Conference, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, Western Virginia, Western Pennsylvania, and Western, uh, Western New York, and um, I, I came into this role almost three years ago now, and uh, they said that the Great Lakes Conference includes Kentucky and Tennessee and West Virginia, and I had some questions about that, and uh, so, so I, I, flew down to, I, I flew down to Nashville and drove over to Paducah, Kentucky, and well, I, I, they are great states, and they do have lakes, so, uh, no, um, 81 churches partner together to do some great things, and, and you are a vital part of this because of your contributions to the conference that you send in every year. I don't know the dollar amount, but I know it's significant for the size of church that you are, so thank you for that. And because of your partnership with us, we're able to do some great things, like start new churches the way that we started Artisan, what, seven or eight years ago, ten years ago now, uh, forgive me. Um, uh, we just started a new church in Livonia, Michigan, outside of Detroit, uh, about a year ago. They had their first worship services uh, starting in the summertime, and um, and they're now worshiping close to 200 people on a Sunday morning, a suburb of Detroit. Not uncommon, but just a church that we planted uh, three years ago down in Buchanan, West Virginia, uh, uh, a kind of a satellite plant in a distant place with no other covenant churches around, and 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 they're already worshiping in the neighborhood of 250 people on Sunday morning, making a a tremendous impact on this little little town of Buchanan, West Virginia. Um, And then uh, you've helped us start a brand new church just this year in Cleveland. They they are holding their second preview service next Sunday on Father's Day. Uh, Church on kind of the southeastern corner uh, of the great metro area of Cleveland. It's called Church in the Round. we, we tried to get them to attach the name Covenant to it, but Church in the Round Covenant Church didn't quite have the ring to it. So so it's Church in the Round and Evangelical Covenant Church, uh, Sean O'Brien, the pastor, and we're really excited about that because, because of our partnership, we're able to start new churches like the three that I just mentioned. But not just starting new churches, we're also um, coming alongside struggling churches because it isn't just um, pastors who need some help along the way and some uh, consultation. But sometimes churches get into a situation where they've lost their missional traction and they realize that if they don't do something different uh, than what they've been doing, uh, they're probably not going to survive as a church. And so when a church comes to that point of recognizing that they need some help, they contact the conference office and we are able to come alongside them through a ministry that we call Congregational Vitality or Church Revitalization. And um, I can tell you that because of your partnership with us, we're able to do that kind of work on a regular basis. So uh, that a church like uh, Kalamazoo Covenant, historic church, been around for decades, uh, hit that point where they were losing their traction. We came alongside them four years ago, and today uh, they have regained their missional traction and are making a significant impact in the city of Kalamazoo. Dawajak, Michigan, a a city that's in decline, the the population is declining every year, a couple of years ago, held a vote of whether they would continue to uh, function as a church. And, um, and they decided that, yes, they wanted to try to come back. They wanted to try to do God's work uh, in their community again. And so uh, a, a narrow margin vote, but they decided to do it. Um, they were down to about 25 people in worship three years ago. Now they're averaging close to 100. Last year they had 62 people come to Christ through their ministry and baptized 25, uh, 25 people in their ministry just this past year through their various outreach ministries. It's because of your partnership with us and your financial contributions to the conference that we're able to do that. And I want you to know that I consider it a privilege to serve in this capacity. Uh, to be called pastor by your pastor, I'm honored. And to serve in this role of coming alongside all of our churches, including your church, is just a great Great privilege and joy for me. so thanks for inviting me in to be a part of your life together today, and um, I would like to uh, just ask you to quiet your hearts with me uh, in prayer for just a moment as we look to look to our Lord. Father, we are grateful uh, for your gift of grace, your presence among us, the invitation that you give to us to be a partner in the work that you are doing in the world bless us as we look to your word this morning and help us to to receive what you have for us and we pray it in Christ's name amen well a, a jewish man once asked jesus how many people are going to be saved and brought into the kingdom of god on the day of judgment and jesus responded with some pretty strong words he said make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many will try to enter and will not be able to do so. And then he said something that shocked his audience. These were Jewish listeners. He said, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, on the day of judgment at the end of time as we know it, people from all over the world will have a place at God's table, at his eternal messianic banquet. Not just people from Israel, but people from every ethnicity from all over the known world. And this was mind-boggling to Jewish, Jesus' Jewish listeners because uh, although the, the, the great prophets of, uh, of their day had talked about this, this great banquet at the end of time, this, this messianic feast for the people of God, they thought that it was all about them. And they couldn't get their mind wrapped around the fact that, uh, by Jesus' day, they couldn't get their, their mind around the fact that, that, uh, that this messianic banquet was going to include people from north and south and east and west, from people, uh, people all over the world, every walk of life. Now, now, Jesus turned this upside down. He gave indications throughout his ministry uh, that there was going to be a wide-ranging invitation to the table. He... Um, he went to a place south of the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis, uh, deca meaning ten, polis meaning uh, city, ten cities. This region just south of the Sea of Galilee, a little bit to the a little bit to the east, and uh, intentionally spent time there. And the, the significance of that was that almost the entire population was non-Jewish. But Jesus went to them to take the good news of the kingdom of God. You uh, are very familiar with the. Uh, The region of Samaria and the the story about the woman at the well in Samaria. Well, uh, full-blooded Jews always avoided Samaria. They never went through Samaria. They always went around it. But Jesus made it his intentional uh, commitment to walk right through the village. And because of that conversation with this Jewish Samaritan woman, many people in that village uh, became followers of Jesus. And then I'm sure that's, that your, your pastor has talked regularly about how Jesus reached out to the fringe people, uh, the tax collectors, the sinners, the lepers, the physically uh, disabled people. Well, in the text that I'm going to invite you to look at with me uh, to the, today, Jesus makes it absolutely clear that it's God's intention for everyone to receive an invitation to the banquet table that he offers to us. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 14, um, and in the first 11 verses or so, we'll see that that Jesus is um, uh, spending some time with uh, a Pharisee and his guests at home. Uh, he's been invited to a, a banquet, a, a meal together with these folks, and they're, they're apparently uh, people of means, people of power, and they're having a dinner party uh, in this, uh, this Pharisee's house. The Pharisee is... Um, uh, one of the religious leaders among the Jewish people of the day. And he's invited these people to his home, and Jesus is one of them. And Jesus makes this observation as people are coming in uh, to the banquet, to this this, this meal. Uh, he sees that people are choosing places of honor. And uh, he has a word for them, a word of chastisement. He says, you know, you really shouldn't take places of honor. You should really take the places of kind of submitting and, and the lowest end and then and then if you're invited to go up, you may do that. But then Jesus turns his comments to the host, and, uh, and he speaks specifically to the host about how he should invite people uh, to his luncheon or his dinner. Luke 14, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid by them. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, that messianic banquet, right? Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited to my banquet will get a taste of it. When... uh, When Christians gather for worship on Sunday morning, we get a foretaste of that great messianic banquet of eternity. And that's especially true when we gather around the Lord's table to break bread and to share the cup together. It's when we gather at the table that we anticipate that great eternal messianic banquet at the end of Of time when all who have put their trust in Christ and all who have committed themselves to following Jesus will gather with the Lord at his heavenly banquet table. That table that Jesus spoke of when he said that people will come from north and south and east and west to feast together in his presence. The table that Jesus alluded to when he said it was a table not just for healthy people but also for the crippled, the blind, the lame. He said it was a table not only for wealthy people but also, also for the poor and the broken. This uh, awareness of who will be in attendance at the eternal messianic banquet table has been a driving force of the covenant church since our inception in 1885. Um, I, I just I have to ask the question, are there any Swedes any people of Swedish descent here in? All right, I finally found one. There is a covenant church with no Swedish people whatsoever. This is awesome. <laughs> but the covenant church was originally formed of immigrants, right, from from Europe, and they'd found their way uh, uh, to the United States. In fact, they found their way, made their way into some house churches in the Midwestern part of our country. And and most of them were Swedes. They, they'd come from the motherland in Sweden. Um, and I can assure you there were no Irish Catholics like me <laughs> among them. But in Sweden, these, these early covenanters had experienced profound spiritual renewal. They, they, there's a long history, and Scott can tell you, because you've read that By One Spirit book, right? That's yeah, the tome. Um, so he can tell you that story, the back story to it. But, but they found uh, uh, a vital living Christ in their spiritual life back in Sweden, um, coming out of the state church of, of uh, the Lutheran church. But, but when they got to America, they found that the, that the, uh, the Lutheran church that they were used to in Sweden uh, didn't match their passion for the gospel, and, and it didn't match their desire to be a part of Christ's mission in the world. And so um, upon arriving in the States and, and going to some Lutheran churches... Uh, and finding them kind of dull and dry and, and empty, they started forming house churches all throughout the 1800s. They formed these little uh, these little house churches where they could pray and read scripture together and worship and, and for for decades in, these, in, in the 1800s these, these people in these little house churches heard about one another they knew that there were other house churches of similar nature, and eventually they began talking to one another about the possibility of establishing a relationship with one another. Um, they actually used the term covenant. And, uh, and they had these conversations for two reasons. They felt the need to train pastors because some of their house churches were starting to grow. You know, it's one thing to have 12 or 15 people meet in a house when you People uh, are vibrant and alive in their faith, and it starts to grow, much like Artisan has grown. It gets to the point where you can't just meet in a home anymore. So, they, they felt a need to train pastors, and they also felt a deep need to train missionaries, primarily because the, the people from Europe were still arriving on the shores of our country, and they were also coming from Asia, and, and they wanted to serve these people who were coming to the United States. And so, they, they wanted to train some missionaries to, to work with those immigrants. Well, the first covenanters knew that none of their individual small house churches had the resources to adequately train missionaries or pastors, and if they stayed independent and isolated, it would never happen. But they believed that if they could find a way to combine their resources, to to partner with one another in order to do that training, that, that more and more people would actually find their way into the kingdom of God by coming to faith in Christ and And more and more people would find themselves at the table of the Lord. And so in 1885, the Swedish Evangelical Mission Covenant was formed in Chicago. And the members of that newly formed covenant called themselves Mission Friends. And what they believed would become true soon did become true. These Mission Friends found that they were better together for the sake of the gospel than any of them alone or any of their individual churches alone could ever have been. By combining their resources, they were able to train pastors. By combining their resources, they were able to train missionaries. And because of that faithful response to the calling of God and because of the faithful ministry of covenant churches across the United States and Canada, who have continued to combine their resources to train pastors and to equip evangelists and to send missionaries and to start new churches and to come alongside existing churches. The number of reservations for the eternal messianic banquet that Jesus will host when the new heaven and the new earth come to be in all of their fullness has been growing ever since. Today, there are over 850 covenant churches, the U.S. and Canada. Uh, In aggregate, some 300,000 people who are either experiencing the love of Christ or sharing the love of Christ on a given Sunday in one of our churches. And we're even larger overseas in countries like the Congo and Taiwan, Colombia and Thailand, Spain and Ecuador. And because of the combined efforts in mission through churches overseas and churches right here in America, more and more people will be gathering from north and south and east and west to worship in covenant churches all over the world. And at the end of time, we can be assured that there will be more people at the table than there would have been had we not combined our resources to do so. I want to say to you this morning that what is true for the larger Christian church and the evangelical covenant church as a whole is also true for Artisan Church. You, the people of this congregation, are far better together for the sake of Christ's mission in the world than any of you are alone. Think of the the ministries that take place through the life of this church because you have come together to pool your resources and to partner with one another in ministry, your prayer team your social justice team, the care project, the small group ministry, the connection groups, the men's ministry, the women's ministry, your worship bands. And i got to tell you, that was wonderful worship this morning. Thank you for the sacrifice that you make uh, to lead us in worship. I understand that you have three uh, separate teams, and I know it's a boatload of work. So thank you, uh, worship team, for your, your ministry. Um, Your greeters, I met a new one this morning. Lawrence did a great job welcoming. There are others who are needed in that ministry, so um, please sign up to do that. Uh, Scott, we didn't talk ahead of time. I just know that that's a constant. um, Your tech team, those of you who spend time, you know, helping prepare all that goes on. uh, And then your children's ministry. And I don't know what it's like here, but I know that that's always a challenge in every church. In fact, I think your wife Tracy is working with the children's ministry today. Is that right? Someplace teaching. So, if that's if, if is she here? This no. <laughs> um, so, just thank you to all of you who are partnering together to carry out those ministries. They are crucial, and and ultimately, ultimately, you are better together in ministry and mission than any one of you could possibly be alone. And yet. There is something that each of you is called to do alone that every one of you can do better by yourself than you can do together, at least initially. In that parable that Jesus spoke to the Pharisee and his very wealthy guests who wanted prominence for themselves, that parable that Jesus spoke about a banquet that had implications of a table and an eternal messianic banquet. Jesus says that the servants are sent out to extend personal invitations to people on the streets so that they can come to the banquet. Personal invitations given one-on-one, one-by-one, until the banquet table is full. I, uh, I have the privilege of being Scott's pastor and uh, of serving in this role as superintendent and, and the privilege of being a covenant pastor. I served 14 years out in New Hampshire, uh, nine years in Grand Rapids, five years in Modesto, California as pastor, and before that in Young Life Ministry. I have the privilege of serving in this role of, of even Of even being a follower of Jesus, because one man took this calling seriously this this calling to extend an invitation to someone to to know Jesus, to extend an invitation to a young man <laughs> to come to a church someday. Uh, it happened on an expressway i ninety four in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Somebody here has a relative uh, in Ann Arbor. When I speak in our Ohio churches, when I refer to Ann Arbor, there's these boos and hisses because of the great rivalry between University of Michigan and Ohio State. So I know I'm not concerned about their uh, that issue uh, here, and I'm welcome here in this church uh, on a Sunday. Um, but I was young. I was uh, uh, just finishing up my freshman year in college, uh, and it was the summertime. I had a job on my college campus. I'd gone up to visit a friend of mine in the Thumb of Michigan. You know the state. It was up up here in the in the Thumb of Michigan, and, and my college was down in the southwest part of the state. So I was hitchhiking back to back to my school. And um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not suggesting that you should either pick up hitchhikers or that you should go hitchhiking yourself. But this was this was back in the day, right in the 70s and. And um, so I, I was standing on the side of the expressway with my big sign that said Albion. And um, I had my big smile on my face. And they were not picking me up. I mean, it was, it was dreadful that day. And it was getting late. And I was supposed to be at work at midnight. And, and finally, I noticed that there was a car that had passed me. And it was stopped on the expressway. And he was actually backing up. He'd stopped about a half mile beyond me. And he was backing up on the shoulder of the expressway. And he had to go under a bridge to get back to me. So I I remember thinking, this is either going to be a great ride or I'm going to be dead. That was the only two options I could think of. And when we met up with each other, he rolled down the window and said, I'm driving right past Albion, happy to give you a ride. He seemed like a nice guy, so I threw my backpack in the back seat, hopped into the front seat, and we started a conversation. Hi, my name's Garth, and his name is so-and-so. And it was very comfortable. Uh, He asked about my interests, what I was studying in school, uh, my family history, all of that. I talked to him about uh, the possibility of going into medicine or a a career in counseling. And um, he was very interested in me and and, uh, it was just an easy, easy conversation. Um, After I told him about myself, he said, Garth, um, with the values that you have and the interests that you have, it sounds like you might be a Christian. Are you a Christian? And I said, no, I'm an atheist. And he said... Oh, could you tell me about that? And um, and so I did. I, I told him about growing up uh, in a Roman Catholic family, but it was a nominal uh, Roman Catholic family, and how I had gone to church dutifully as a young boy, and uh, as I got into my teenage years, it seemed to me like the only subject the priest ever really talked about was the need the church had for more money to the people give money to the church, right? It's really ironic now because um, when I visit churches like yours, I say, thank you for your contribution to help us do our ministry. Please increase your giving so that we can expand our, our mission. Um, but the other reason that I left the church was the perception that I had of the hypocrisy in the body uh, because it was a largely Roman Catholic community. Many of our neighbors went to the church that I went to, and I saw the way that the parents behaved, especially in relation to the kids. But some of the things that I saw going on in the neighborhood uh, between the adults, and I just said, uh, they talk about one thing on Sunday morning, but it's not the way they're living on you know uh, through the week. And so um, I just decided if that's what the Catholic Church is about, and if that's what Christianity is about, then I'm done. And so I called myself an atheist, and and. So I, I shared this story with him about having left the church, and, and he was very interested, no judgment, no condemnation, nothing. And he just listened, and, and it was comfortable. And it was such a comfortable conversation that at the end of it, I said, how about you? Are, are you a Christian? And he said, as a matter of fact, I am. Would it be okay if I tell you my story? And he did. I don't remember the details of it, but I do remember that he talked about something I had never heard about before, he talked about having a personal relationship with God through his faith in christ i 'd never heard that as a as a boy growing up didn 't know what that could be like. I was so intrigued by that idea that someone could have a personal relationship with God um, that that night um, I did something I probably shouldn 't have done. Um, I was working as a college uh, a public safety officer, which meant I had a key to every building on the college campus that I went to. Uh, and, and, so, um, and so that night, I was on, on duty. I let myself into the college chapel. Uh, it's a Methodist school. They had uh, Bibles in the pews. I took a Bible. I confess to you, I don't know if I ever returned the Bible. <laughs> but I did read that Bible. I read it cover to cover. It took me about nine months. I really struggled in Leviticus and Numbers, Chronicles, all the... Um, But when I got to the... Well, I had a real tough time reading about the God of the Old Testament uh, and when he commanded the the Jews to go in and kill all the people in the Promised Land. That didn't feel right. Um, But I I persevered. When I got to the New Testament, I really loved Jesus. Everything about him, but the Apostle Paul, I had questions. uh, Seemed like he was a little bit arrogant. Wasn't sure I wanted to be like Paul. He said... He said to he wrote to some folks, um, "Be like me, like I'm like Jesus." And I said, "Mm-hmm," <laughs> uh, But but why didn't you just say be like Jesus? You know, forget the middleman thing. <laughs> and uh, so I had a lot of questions, a lot of questions, and I started a conversation, a whole another story with a friend of mine who happened to be a Christian, and kept reading scripture. And uh, about a year uh, about a year later. I became fully convinced uh, of one thing: that there was a God, that there was a Creator. I was convinced of that, Um, and I wanted desperately to be in relationship with my Creator. And uh, and so I remember I was a distance runner at the time, and I remember starting a prayer at the bottom of the hill, and by the top of the hill. A half mile later, I had become a new creation. I, I confessed my sin, which there was considerable sin to confess. I was carrying a lot of guilt for some choices that I had made and was making. And I, uh, my life turned around in that process. I said, uh, if, if what I read in your word in this word is true, I will follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I'm confessing my sin to you right now. And I, I remember listing them in rather rapid fire. It was not a. And, and uh, by the time I got to the top of the hill, I had received the forgiveness that Scott referred to earlier in our service. And I had become a new creation. Uh, I knew it deep within me. And, um, and now, for uh, the past 38 uh, years, I have had the privilege of inviting people to have. Uh, that kind of relationship with their creator I've had the joy of living a life uh, not perfectly but but transformed by the gospel a life in which I I turned from a life focused on meeting my needs and a life that was really about me to a life increasingly marked by meeting the needs of others and serving others in Jesus uh, name as I strive to live the kingdom of God kind of life that Jesus talked about uh, in the Gospels and even the kind of life that Paul talks about uh, in his writing. I, I, I gave up my, my resistance to the Apostle Paul and, uh, and now I get to share the good news of life in Christ, life in the kingdom of God and living in a personal relationship uh, with my Creator. Um, that guy that picked me up hitchhiking, uh, he was a physician. He was from Detroit. He was on his way to Chicago. Uh, It was late. He was late. Um, You know, it it was, I think, by the time we said goodbye, it was midnight, and he had another five hours of driving to get to his destination in the Chicago area. And um, three things happened. Uh, Number one, as I... He dropped me off at my apartment. We had dinner together. He dropped me off at my apartment, and he said, um, by the way, um, um, uh, is it okay if I pray for you? And I thought, oh, here we go. You know, the, the evangelistic whatever. Uh, but it was just, he just, it was, I just remember being very comfortable. He prayed for me that I would experience God's grace, and I did. He gave me his business card and said, if you ever have any questions, call me. And I lost the card. And to this day, I have no idea who he is. And the last thing that he said was, um, Garth, I just want you to know that uh, I have never in my life picked up a hitchhiker before. But when I passed you on the expressway, I I sensed God prompting me to pick you up and offer you Jesus. Jesus. To give you an invitation, essentially, to the kingdom of God. And I believed him because he stopped a half a mile past me and (laughs) backed up on the... So, I want to ask you, uh, people of Artisan Church this morning, who is the one person in your life that God is prompting you personally to tell the good news to. Who's the one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus yet? Whom God is prompting you to develop a relationship with that's strong enough and close enough that an invitation to one of your events or one of your ministries or your worship service would just flow out of you. A relationship that it's strong enough and close enough to start a conversation about spiritual things because the person knows that you care so deeply for him or her that even if he or she rejects you for your faith, that you won't turn your back on him or her. Which hitchhiker in your life is God prompting you to, to go out of your way to be with, to share your life with, and ultimately share your faith with? Is it a new friend? Is it a longtime neighbor? Is it a relative? Those tend to be the hardest. Is it a customer or a classmate or a colleague? Is it your mail carrier, a clerk at your grocery store, or somebody who waits on table when you go to a favorite restaurant? Jesus calls us, each of us, to go out into the streets of our town, to the roads outside of our town, to invite people to his banquet table. That's our call. It's not just events at church. It's it's us going out to extend the invitations to people we don't really know yet. So So that people from north and south and East and West will want to join us at the communion table of Artisan Church and will make a reservation for the great eternal messianic banquet at the end of time. I said a few minutes ago that the early covenanters called themselves mission friends. And we who call ourselves covenanters today are still Mission friends, and we are stronger because of your ministry here in Rochester, and we are grateful for you, and we are counting on you for the kingdom work that only you can do in this community, that only you, each of you individually, can initiate with the people of this area so that even more people from north, south, east, and west will find their place at this table and the eternal messianic banquet table. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. May God bless you as you seek to be faithful to him. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do look forward to the day when the new heaven and the new earth will be fully realized. However however you bring that to be, However you make that happen, we look forward to that day when we will be seated with you at that great banquet table. Lord, between now and that time, as we seek to be faithful to you, bless us as we invite people one-on-one, one-by-one to consider you to be a part of your church, to be a part of your work on this earth to be people truly of your kingdom. People seated at the table of communion in this church, making reservations for the great messianic banquet where all of your children will be gathered together who know you, who love you, who follow you. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Garth. Um, I'd like to extend to you now the invitation to come and celebrate Christ's feast at this table. If you were here last week, you remember that I I had this uh, communion meditation that I wanted to share with you from um, John Calvin, which is kind of amusing because he's not exactly my favorite theologian. Um, And I couldn't find it, but... Uh it's really interesting that I didn't get to read it last week because I want to read it this week, and you'll see why this is interesting. It's it's not quite enough to make me a Calvinist, but it's it's interesting nonetheless. <laughs> this is what I wanted to read to you last week, but couldn't find, and now have to read to you this week. This is from John Calvin. Let us remember that this sacred feast is medicine for the sick, solace for sinners, alms to the poor, but would bring no benefits to the healthy, righteous, and rich if such could be found. <laughs> um I think that ties in so well with what Garth just shared with us, and I'd like to invite all of you now to come and receive Christ's feast, Uh, his body and blood, broken for you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. You don't need to be a member of our church or of the Evangelical Covenant Church or any church to participate in this sacrament. Uh, You need to be seeking to follow Jesus in this place and sharing in his meal together. Uh, And so we practice this by what's called intinction. You can tear a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups. We have uh, wine and juice on both sides of the table. Um, You are free to bring your kids and have them participate in this. uh, Or you can take it on your own and and get them afterwards. Uh, We have another song or two to sing uh, together while we take communion. Uh, The table is open. Respond to the words of the Lord uh, as you hear the Spirit's call. Amen.